Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Um, Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you again that your word says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. There is a confidence, Lord, uh, as that if we, as we've uh, been studying Pilgrim's Progress, I would ask and pray again uh, that we would um, be encouraged in the faith, uh, to know that we are truly pilgrims, we are, we are exiles and strangers on the earth, and that you are leading us home. And that as long the way, to every day that we live, Lord God, we do encounter the various temptations and trials and difficulties, but also good things and blessings and and arbors and and um, pleasant places for refreshment, and we just thank you, Lord, through all, whatever the the situation may be, Lord, you are sovereign, and you are working in our lives to conform us into the image of Christ. So we bless you and thank you for the time we can open your Word, we can discuss uh, these these topics, and and just ask and pray again. It would be honoring to you, and that you would uh, guide our conversation, and and that um, you would be glorified. So again, we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the outline's up here if you need a, a paper copy. I am going to rock and roll here. Oh, that's of the devil. I'm going to move quickly. Um, and because uh, this is it, this is the last Sunday, i got to get this guy home. All right, and so uh, it will happen. So I'm going to begin, and also there's an electronic copy too if you're on your phone there that Cheyenne sent out. I'm going to start with actually Hebrews 11, and this is going to set us up for uh, the story. And it's beginning in verse 13, where the writer of Hebrews says, All these died in faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are, they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And I, as this is part of my devotionals, and I thought this is, ties in big time, all right, because this is us, right, again, that we are... Um, seeing these promises from a distance, right? We're exiles and strangers. And just like these two, uh, Christian and hopeful, and uh, again, the desire. They're going to be homesick. They're going uh, to be so close, and eventually that desire will be granted them by God. So on your outline on page one, well, I'm going to move through this. And if you have any questions, please be sure to answer or raise your hand there. Uh, is that Christian hopeful? They're they're so close. They've um, and they've encountered a guy named ignorance, right? Ignorance and ignorance is interesting because he keeps popping up. All right, uh, they ran into him prior, uh, and though so he kind of they, and they had these ongoing conversations. And the gist and there's going to be a kind of a gist to this. I'm going to read this here on the outline. Is that um, when Christian and hopeful last saw ignorance, they had, he had, ignorance had taken offense at their counsel, rejected their company, and continued the journey on his own. And so he kind of goes, falls back, and then they kind of let him catch up, and then he falls back, and then they, you know, get the idea. And so though ignorance is walking along the way, he regards the journey more casually than Christian and hopeful. 
As Christian attempts to instruct ignorance, he gets to the heart of the difference. And this is kind of, the, remember, this is an allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, between a true believer and a false believer. Ignorance, a false believer, sets his own standards. His understanding of what is right is shaped by how he feels about his place in the world, how he desires to live his life, and how much he has prospered or suffered in this life. Ignorance remains true to his heart. If in his heart he sincerely believes something to be true, then it must be true. If in his heart he sincerely... Okay, uh, but Christian and Hopeful look to a better and more sure standard. The true measure of the heart is not our feelings and passions. It is not our hopes and aspirations, nor is it our experiences or obstacles that we have overcome. The true measure of the heart is the Word of God. And so again, it's very descriptive of the type of Christianity we have in our day, in our culture, and so on, because so much of it is governed by personal preferences, opinions, how I feel, what's popular, uh, etc. And the point, of course, Bunyan is going to make, and which is, of course, scriptural, is that the true measure of anything is the Word of God. And so, for example, one thing that uh, uh, um, ignorance is going to say is that he's good. Right? That's just like a big, big, out-of-the-gate fail, right? He just basically says to Christian and, and Tophel, um, I'm a pretty good person. And so uh, you have a couple of warning passages here about trusting in your own feelings, your own heart. You have Proverbs 28, 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. You have Jeremiah 17, 9, which a lot of you are very familiar with. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then finally, Proverbs 21, 2. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. So the question that that would apply to in the conversation with uh, ignorance and with Christian uh, is this, and it applies to us as well, is how do you know if your thoughts are good? A very practical question. Ask yourself, do my thoughts agree with the word of God? And then finally, how do you know your life is good? Ask yourself, what does God's word say about my life? Am I passing the same judgment on myself which the word passes? All right? And so it's really, really important because these two characters are going to press, they do the exact same thing with ignorance, saying again, what does the word of God say? What does the word of God say? What does the word of God say? It is a standard for how I think, how I feel, and how I know the difference between what is true and what is false. Now I'm going to move on here because I will jump a little bit just for the sake of time. And I'm going to go to page two of your outline. You go down to uh, so the problem about with ignorance is that he's not dispassionate or indolent. He is devout and he's walked a long way on his journey. He's intent on going to the celestial city. He has not been dissuaded to turn aside or turn back. It's not that he's openly rebellious or intentionally deceptive. He is sincere in what he believes. He is earnest in his conversation with Christian. His problem is the standard by which he walks. As he grapples to understand life, God, and the world around him, he looks to his heart rather than God's word. He has made himself the standard and believes he wants to, and believes what he wants to believe. When scripture affirms his fancy, he hardly agrees with it. But when scripture confronts his notions, he readily ignores it. It is his unwillingness to submit to God in his word that has bound him to walk in ignorance. All right. Now, let's move on to uh, point B here, the country of Beulah. Beulah, Beulah land, all right? So it says in uh, Pilgrim's Progress, good morning. Um, it says here, now I saw my dream that by this time the pilgrims were now beyond the enchanted ground. 
and entered the country of Beulah, whose air was very sweet and pleasant. As their way went directly through Beulah land, they delighted themselves there for a season. Yes, they continually heard the singing of birds, and every day they saw new flowers appear, and they heard the song of the turtle dove in the land. In this country, the sun shines night and day. Interesting. As it, was beyond, as it was beyond the valley of the shadow of death and also out of the reach of giant despair, they could not see much as see Doubting Castle. So they've reached a point now where all these obstacles, all these problems, everything that has ensnared them in the past, it seems to be it's, it's, it's in the past. It's distant, all right? And I included here a couple of, I've got a couple songs there. Of, I always remember there's this one called Beulah Land. I don't know if you have this old gospel song here. And the line goes, and it ties into Pilgrim's Progress. It says, I've reached the land of corn and wine, and all its riches freely mine. Here shines undimmed one, one blissful day, where all my night has passed away. O Beulah Land, sweet Beulah Land, as on thy highest mount I stand. I look across the sea where mansions are prepared for me and view the shining glory shore, my heaven, my home forevermore. So on the next page over, it says they are now within sight of the city that they've been traveling to. Remember, this is the celestial city. This is the goal. This is the end game, right? And they also met with some, some of the inhabitants of the city. Uh, for this, in this land, the shining ones commonly walk because it's within the borders of heaven. So you'll hear the reference to the shining ones. And whether you want to think about that as the, the grace of God or angels or some, something like that, it will depend kind of on the context. And um, if you go down to, uh, well, I'll just read the context here. After a long journey through the enchanted ground, the pilgrims arrived in the country of Beulah. Beulah is a refreshing contrast to the wearisome terrain that Christian and Hopeful have just endured. In the enchanted ground, the air tended to make one drowsy, but here the air is sweet and pleasant. And we talked about last week about the enchanted ground. The enchanted ground represents our tendency to become spiritually complacent and fatigued. It is the world wearing us down in weariness, the seemingly endless struggle with temptations and trials for, um, that we face day after day. The country of Beulah represents our longing for heaven and desire to be with Jesus. It is the vision of our heavenly home lifting us up in hope, the glorious promise of eternal joy in the presence of Christ. And, I, and I, by the way, this section is this is one of my favorite here because it's, it's, we're near the end, but I love all these descriptions and I love, again, just the experiences of the pilgrims, what they're going through here. And it's interesting is they're, they're going through the mountains and there's, um, there's shepherds there. There's always shepherds. And of course, that would probably represent pastors there. And um, uh, if you kind of go mill that paragraph, the second paragraph of point two, it says, both Christian and Hopeful are dazzled by the sight of the city and are overwhelmed with wonder. They both fall sick with love. Their love sickness represents a longing to be with Christ. And I like that. Again, it's, um, they're, they're so close, all right? They're so close. And, they, and uh, the, their, 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 their desire, again, is to go home, right? To be, to, and I, and I, so you have lots of uh, references to this from the Apostle Paul, for example, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now, one thing I've done here, too, is I've, I've kind of done a little bit of church history and going back and looking at some um, of Christians who are near the, in their deathbed, essentially. And you have some interesting uh, uh, um, experiences that are tied into the same things that Christian and Hope are going through. Uh, David Brainerd, have you ever read uh, David Brainerd's uh, his book? Okay, his bio, you know? Okay. Um, Jonathan Edwards basically uh, uh, quotes him. Uh, he died at a very young age. He was a missionary. And, and Brainerd would say, oh, why is this chariot so, why is his chariot so long in coming? 
Why tarry the wheels of his chariots? I am very willing in part and to part with it all. I am almost in eternity. I long to be there. There's that longing. My work is done. I have done with I'm done with all my friends. All the world is nothing to me. I long to be in heaven, praising and glorifying God with his holy angels. All my desire is to glorify God. And, I, and again, I love these descriptions, again, because oh, you know, this, that should be our heart's desire, right? Yeah. To be with Jesus, right? Uh, you have another uh, you have a, uh, New England preacher, Dr. Edward uh, Payson, uh, and he was saying on his deathbed, this is several weeks before he dies, I used to read uh, Bunyan's description of the land of Beulah, where the sun shines, the birds sing day and night, and doubt whether there was such a place. But now, now my experience has convinced me of it, and it infinitely surpasses all my previous conceptions. Um, he wrote, uh, were, this is on page four, were I to adopt the figurative language of Bunyan, I might date this letter from the land of Beulah, from which I've been, been for some weeks, a happy habitant. The celestial city is, in, is, few, is full in my view. It glories, it glories beam upon me. It breezes fan me. Its odors are wafted to me. Its sounds strike upon my ear, and its spirit is breathed into my heart. D.L. Moody, well, you guys have heard of D.L. Moody, right? Okay, so on his death, deathbed, uh, this is in 1899, he says, Earth recedes, Heaven's op heaven opens before me. No, this is no dream. He's speaking to his son, Will. It is beautiful. It's like a trance. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me, and I must go. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. I've been looking forward to it for years. And part of the reason I'm saying this, again, sometimes, again, Christians, when they talk about, if they do talk about heaven, right, it's like, it's off in the distance, it's not really another thing to think about a whole lot, I'll worry about that when I get old, like I am now, um, you know, and so it's just some, but again, we're going to see here, uh, for Christians, um, our desire is to be with Jesus, right? Now, it's always God's timing, but the point is that um, that is my destination. This world I'm just passing through, and uh, my heart's desire ultimately is to be with Jesus and to glorify Him. I have here a song from Rich Mullins. If you just bring it up here a date a little bit, if you've heard the song Elijah, uh, he did pass away. He died in an accident, uh, but the chorus on that was pretty much, "When I leave, I want to go out like Elijah, like Elijah." Uh, with a whirlwind to fuel my chariot of fire. And when I look back on the stars, it'll be like a candlelight in Central Park, and it won't break my heart to say goodbye. And I love that. All right, so they have more descriptions of the country, uh, the, the country of Beulah on point three there. You can kind of read there on your own. There is a gardener there. There's always gardens. There's always a gardener there. And the gardener pretty much, again, if you look at point four, uh, shows them that where the, the king's walks, the right way to go, the arbors, and so on. It's possible that the gardener, like watchful at Palace Beautiful, this is on pa top of page five, the shepherds in the delectable mountains and the great grace of the, on the king's highway represents another uh, needed aspect of pastoral ministry. The pastor is, is a great comfort and help to those in the flock who are on the brink of heaven. He encourages them with God's promises, feeds them with God's word, and prays for them that they will end well. So um, here they are. They're kind of getting ready. They're on the threshold. And so now we get to the shining ones. Are going to, uh, they're speaking to, to Christian Hopeful and said, you've got two, two more things left, all right? Number one, you've got the river. And number two, you've got to go through the gate. You've got to get the gate of the city, all right? Now, this river is called the river of death. Okay, and it's interesting is that you don't really find in, in the Bible too much of the metaphor of 
death being crossing a river. You think of like crossing the Jordan, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but Bunyan does this, all right? And so in the, in the text, in the book, it says, Now I further saw that between them and the gate was a river, and there was no bridge to pass over it, and the river was very deep. At the side of this river, the, pil the pilgrims were bewildered. But the men said to them, You must go through the river, or you cannot enter into the gate. The pilgrims then began to inquire if there was any, any other way to the gate, to which the man answered, Yes, but only two, since the foundation of the world, have been permitted to tread that path, namely Enoch and Elijah. You know that story there. <clears throat> then the pilgrims, the pilgrims then, especially Christian, began to lose heart. They looked this way and that, but they could find no, no, no way by which they may escape the river. Then they asked the men if the waters were all the same depth. No, they replied, you shall find it deeper, deeper or shallower, just as you believe in the king of the city. So there's a connection here again about uh, the, the assurance of faith, the, 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 the maturity of the believer. Um, just uh, the, the, It's going to be very individualistic, again, how they're going to be facing this death experience. All right? And we're going to have, you can see I look at my little art there, multimedia uh, presentation. If you go to the very bottom here, Christian and Hope are now nearing the end. Now on page 6. Um, if you look at point 2, so the river appears daunting and formidable. Christian and Hope are both stunned. They begin to despond when they see there's no way around it and no bridge to cross it. Now if you go to point 3, the pilgrims now realize that death is unavoidable. As they prepare to enter the water, they are encouraged and, and accompanied by those shining ones. Throughout the allegory, the shining ones represent God's work of grace in the heart. In the country of Beulah, these servants of the, of, of the king walk and minister openly. They are sent to guide pilgrims in the final steps of the journey. The shining ones inform the pilgrims that the river shall be shallow or deep, depending on their faith. As the pilgrims enter the water, we see indeed that they experience death differently. All right, so everybody kind of see this in your minds, right? Get your imaginations going here, and you can kind of picture it. That, you know, they're, they're, they're both together, and they're approaching the river, and they put their feet in it, right? They touch the water, right? Now, what happens? Christian is in great turmoil. Okay, now Christian is, uh, it's interesting, he has this pride issue. He's been struggling with for a long time. It says, uh, even in death, his thoughts are of himself. And what happens is he, as he begins to die, uh, he remembers his sins and ponders his failings. He begins to sink and cries out in distress. Now here, I'm going to back to Bunyan here in the text. Uh, the pilgrims then approached the water. Upon entering, Christian began to sink. Crying out to his good friend Hopeful, he shouted, I am sinking in deep waters. The billows are rolling over my head. All his waves are washing over me. Then Hopeful, and this is a good thing, is he's not alone. Okay, Christian is not alone. He's, Hopeful is with him, and Hopeful again is speaking to him in his panic, in his fear. Hopeful replied, take courage, my brother. I feel the bottom, and it is firm. Christian then cried out, ah, my friend, the, the sorrows of death have encompassed me about. I shall not see the land which flows with milk and honey. With that, the great darkness and horror fell upon Christian so that he could not see ahead of him. He also in great measure lost his senses so that he could neither remember nor talk co coherently or of any of the sweet refreshments which he had met along the way of his pilgrimage. But all the words that he spoke still tended to manifest his horror of mind and heart fears that he would die in the river and never gain entrance in the gate. 
Here also, as those two men stood, uh, who stood by and perceived, Christian was in much troublesome thoughts concerning the sins he had committed, both before and since he began to be a pilgrim. So again, the word turmoil is a good word here um, that he's struggling big time. Now, hopeful is, the, is hopeful. Okay, he's, he's the contrast to this, all right? Is hopeful is full of hope. He finds the river much shallower and unlike Christian walks across with firm footing. He keeps his head above the waves and sees the gate which Christian is unable. Once again, it is God's kindness that Christian and hopeful walk together. Hopeful's thoughts are of Christ. Even in death, Hopeful encourages his brother and points him to the Savior and to the promise of eternal life. Hopeful reminds Christian of Scripture and tells him that even, in the, uh, even the trial he's facing in death is an indication of God's grace, grace at work. Unlike the wicked who will be cast away, Christian is concerned for his soul, distressed by his doubts, and troubled by his sins. And you have lots of verses, again, that tie into you know, what we've been talking about for the assurance of salvation. Uh, Philippians 1.6 is a go-to passage here. For I am sure of this, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will, be, will bring it uh, to completion, will be faithful to complete it uh, at the day of Jesus Christ. You have 1 John 3.2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We have also uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.12. We exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And then uh, Paul in 2 Timothy 4.18 says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Right. So again, these are uh, there's a lot of uh, passages that that hopeful would have recited to Christian that would meant to be an encouragement to him in his struggle. Um, I found some interesting things too here about thinking about this issue because with the Puritans, um, they they put a lot of stress upon uh, to live well and to die well, to live well and to die well. And it's interesting because in our culture again, uh, we focus a lot on living well, but we don't focus a lot on dying well. Because that's a bummer, man. <laughs> Dying well, right? Aren't we supposed to live the American dream? You know, aren't we supposed to go for the gusto and, you know, enjoy all the good stuff now? And, you know, no. Again, for the, especially for this idea is that um, if we live well it will, and, and live scripturally, uh, we will be thinking about how we die, how we live this life in preparation uh, into heaven. And so Philip Ryken, I don't know if you're familiar with him, uh, he's a... He's read a number of books, and this article in particular, which is entitled Dying Well, he says, not everyone dies well, but only those who are strong in faith, bold in courage, and well-prepared to meet their God. We can, die, prepare, we can prepare to die well by thinking often about death and the life to come. And that little often thing is what's the bummer, because a lot of Christians, and especially a lot of Americans, we don't like cemeteries, we don't like death, we won't avoid the subject altogether, because that makes us feel bad or something else, okay? But scripturally, again, we do need to think about this. And so, um, Riken gives a lot of suggestions about how we can uh, die well. Number one, learn what the Bible says about death. Learn what the Bible says about death. Number two, pay attention to the spiritual experience of others in death and grief. Are they dying well? If so, then consider what you, what you can learn from their example. If not, then consider why not. Number three, pay attention when you go to other people's funerals or graveside services. 
I mean, I tell my students all the time, and I know probably Caroline can attest to this, I tell them, go to cemeteries. Go to cemeteries. You know, you really want to keep things in perspective, again, about life. You need to walk through cemeteries. Read the tombstones, right? And that's, that's kind of a slap in the face. A reminder, again, about, about these type of things. Uh, n- number four here, um, pay attention to brothers and sisters that, that you read about in good Christian biographies. Love biographies, Christian biographies, because I like to hear how, not only how they lived, but also how they died. Uh, number five, sing great hymns about dying well and meditate upon the meaning of, those, of their words. Number six, pray that as you die, you will hold on to your faith and let others see God's grace to you. All right? Because I've thought this out a little bit, by the way. I know I'm kind of weird, but um, I thought like if, if by God's grace, if he allows me, if I have a type of death where, it's, where I have time, like I want to record a, like a message, right? Like a final message, right? And, and that would be great. I, I could say just, you know, because I won't be there, obviously. And so um, I have, I mean, I, I got in my mind, oh, yeah, okay, I'm sorry, just I'm thinking ahead. Okay, so um, there you go. Number seven, exercise good stewardship of your earthly possessions for your families. Reconcile any broken relationships so you do not leave any unfinished business behind. Number eight, practice self-denial and sacrifice yourself for the sake of others, like Jesus did. If you're putting yourself to death every day, then the day of death itself will turn out to be the day you've been preparing for all of your life. And then number nine, the most important thing you can do to, to, to die well is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Um, we were, um, my class, we're going through my uh, apologetics class, and we were talking again uh, about Lazarus. Um, and I love the passage when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now he who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Right, and these 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 are precious promises, right? And I'm trying to communicate to the kids again is that you're going to die, you're mortal. You have an expiration date slapped on your feet. No, you don't. But you have an expiration date, all right? Um, you have, uh, and so the point being is is that you know when you you think about death and the and the fear of death is that these promises are your shield, right? They're your comfort, um, they're your hope. I mean, I cling to these promises again, even if I die, I will live. In Christ, right? You have also here too. Uh, I have a quote from um, Art, uh, Archibald Alexander. I don't know if you've ever read him at all. Uh, he's uh, one of the founders of the Princeton theologians. Okay, Princeton University when it was actually Orthodox. Um, and uh, he actually wrote a book. He didn't write a lot of books, but in this book in particular, uh, there's a chapter called the Death uh, Deathbed of the Believer. And if you can, I encourage you to read it. And he tells a story real quickly. He says, "I re- recollect a sickly but pious lady." who with a profusion of tears expressed her anxiety and fear in the view of her approaching end. There seemed to be a ground for her foreboding apprehensions because from the beginning of her profession, she had enjoyed no comfortable assurance, but was of the number of those who, though they fear God and obey the voice of his servant, yet walk in darkness and have no light, Isaiah 50, 10, of comfort. But mark the goodness of God and the fidelity of the great shepherd. Some months afterward, I saw this lady on her deathbed and was astonished to find that Christ had delivered her entirely from her bondage. She was now near to her end and knew it, but she shed no tears and but now but those of joy and gratitude. All of her darkness and sorrow were gone. Her heart glowed with love to the Redeemer, and all her anxiety now was to depart and be with Jesus. There was, as it were, a beaming of heaven in her countenance. 
I had tried before to comfort her, but now I sat down by her bedside to listen to the, to the gracious words which has proceeded out of her mouth and could not but send up the fervent aspiration, quote, oh, let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like hers, Numbers 23.10. Then I knew that there was one who had conquered death and him who has the power of death, for Satan to the last moment was not permitted to molest her. And, and by the way, too, that preparing for, for death, too, um, I included Jonathan Edwards, his resolutions, for those of you who have read his resolutions, okay? Um, it, it's basically like, um, as a young man, he says, these are, these are um, my, uh, um, like, New Year's resolutions, right, people make every year. These are, like, spiritual resolutions. As a young man, these are what I'm going to live by, all right? And so, like, number 22, he says, resolved uh, to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world, as I possibly can with all my power, with all the power, might vigor and vehemence, yet yea, violence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way can be thought of. Number seven, resolve never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Love that one. And number 17, resolve that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Okay, I highly recommend reading his resolutions. So moving on here is that Christian is, um, he's, he's in trouble, but uh, Hopeful is, is speaking to him. You see that on page nine there, the second uh, uh, line there. Hopeful then added to this, this word, take courage, Jesus Christ makes you whole. With that, Christian cried out with a loud voice, oh, I see him again, and he tells me, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. Then they both took courage. After that, the enemy was, was as still as a stone, and could no longer hinder them. Christian, therefore, felt firm ground to stand upon and found that the rest of the river was but shallow. Thus, they both, both crossed the river. Okay, so they, they've died. Okay, they've gone through this experience. They've gone across the river. Now, I love this next part. Okay, they're, they're home, all right? The Celestial City. Now, upon the bank of the river, on the other side, they saw the two shiny men again. There's the two shiny men again, all right? The, who were waiting for them. Therefore, having come out of the river, the shining men greeted them, saying, We are ministering spirits sent forth to serve those who are, who are heirs of salvation. Thus they went along together towards the gate. Now the, that city stood upon a mighty hill, but the pilgrims went up that hill with ease, because they had these two shining men to lead them by their hands. But also they left their mortal garments behind them in the river, for though they went, for though they went in with them, they came out without them. I love that. Right. They, therefore, went up to the city with much agility and speed. Man, I'd be, I'm running. Okay. Um, though the foundation upon which the city was framed was higher than the clouds, they went through the regions of the air, sweetly talking as they went, being comforted because they had safely gone over the river and had such glorious companions to attend them. The conversation they had with, with the Shining Ones was about the splendor of that place. They told the Christians that the beauty and the glory of it was in expressible all right and that's one thing I, I just kind of blows my mind because it's pretty small anyway is that um, about heaven all right is that it's inexpressible it's um, it's beyond human comprehension which makes sense okay but again it's a place you want to be right and so here's Christian hopeful they're at the gates of the celestial city and this, the city of course represents heaven where all those who have found rest and refuge in Christ will complete their journey and find eternal joy in his presence. The pilgrims have longed 
looked for this day when they finally reached their destination, see with their eyes what they sought by, with by faith. The shining ones told them that the beauty and the glory of it was inexpressible. For those of us who are still on the journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city, it is impossible to fully grasp and describe the splendor of heaven. But we're going to try. All right, so descriptions of heaven. Here we go. This is the book of Revelation, other places, but permanent Revelation. In heaven, the church that Christ has redeemed out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation is brought near and gathered in his presence. The people of God are one body and one holy nation. And of course, I have all these Bible references you can look up if you want to. Throughout history, they've been scattered and separated by time and space, divided by language and custom, fragmented by denomination and polity. But in heaven, distinctions will fade, divisions will dissolve. The spirits of just men made perfect will, will all be one in praising and adoring their Savior. Heaven is the paradise of God, um, and the wherein you shall see the tree of life and eat of the never-fading uh, uh, fruits thereof. We'll be clothed in white, dressed in righteousness, Christ's righteousness, and we'll walk and talk with the King. And of course, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there's no more sea. Then I, John, saw the new city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. We will be freed from sin's presence as well as its curse and condemnation. There'll be no more sorrow, sickness, affliction, or death. We will rejoice to see and hear and serve the mighty one of Israel. We'll be reunited with friends and loved ones who've gone on before us. We'll enjoy fellowship with saints of old who are now resting upon their beds and walking in righteousness. In heaven, we will enjoy our eternal reward. We will rest from the toils and sorrows on earth and reap the fruit of what we have sown. We'll be clothed with glory and equipped to accompany the King of Kings when he comes again at the sound of the trumpet. 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you, tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will rise incorruptible and we shall be changed. We will rule and reign and judge with him. And best of all, we will be in the presence of the King of glory and we will always be with the Lord. Now, you have here, um, it says, At the gate, Christian and hopeful see saints of old looking down from above. I always think it's kind of funny a little bit. I mean, it's just me. I mean, they're at this, this city. I'm trying to picture it in my mind. And here's these guys at the top, of the, and they're looking down. It's like, you know, they're knocking the door. And it's like, who's there? You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> open, please. Okay, and so they has here, the, they're looking down, okay, and... Um, it says here that uh, the journey is complete. Here to welcome him are saints on the earth. Uh, but now they looked over. Um, they looked over the gate, and so Bunyan lists some of the names: it's Enoch, Moses, Elijah. There, uh, and they want to know who's there. Now on page uh, eleven, at the gate, each pilgrim represents his certi certificate. Remember the certificate, all right? For entrance into the city, the certificate is their evidence of faith in Jesus in Christ Jesus, sealed by the work of the Spirit. Now, if you go down to the very bottom of the footnote here, just to remind you about the old the certificate, the scroll, all right? This certificate is the role Christian received from the shining one at the cross. He was told that he should give it, give it at, at the celestial gate. 
Bunyan explains that this role was the assurance of his life and acceptance at the desired haven. Though Christian lost his role for a time when he slept at the arbor of, uh, on Hill Difficulty, his faith wavered and his assurance was shaken, the role was recovered, God restored his hope and strengthened his faith to press on. Only those who have rested their faith in the Lord Jesus and believe in his name will be saved. And they hear the words of their Lord, okay, welcoming them. And again, this is like a really, 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 really important passage, right? Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I'll make you a ruler of many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord or master. Now, just as the gates were open to let the men in, and by the way, when you read Pilgrim's Progress, I've, I've, I've edited all of this. It's a, it's a huge parade, essentially. It's a huge celebration, okay? I mean, it's, it's a big deal. It's like, like hopeful and Christian just slide into the backside and nobody really notices them. It's a big, big, big homecoming, welcoming kind of thing, all right? And I looked in, and behold, the city shone like the sun. The streets they also were paved with gold, and on them walked many men with crowns in their head, palms in their hands, and golden harps to sing praises with. There were also some angelic beings with wings, and they sang, and they sang back and forth without intermission, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. After that, they closed up the gates. When I had seen all this, I wished that I myself was among them. Of course, that's Bunyan as being the commentator, right? He's, in, he's been having this dream, and he said, that's part, and you think, well, that's the end. Well, it's not quite the end yet. Now, as I was gazing upon all these things, I turned my head to look back and saw ignorance. Here's ignorance. He's back. Who had come, come up to the riverside. He soon got over the river, and without half the difficulty that Christian and uh, Hopeful met with, for it happened that one called Vain Hope, a ferryman, was there, and with his boat, he helped ignorance across the river. So here's ignorance still taking shortcuts, right? So if you can imagine, so, you know, yeah, he's in this boat. They're rowing the boat. You know, our ferrymen, whatever they do, you know, and they're, they bring him across, okay? And we already saw here is that Christian and Hopeful first met ignorance when they were coming down from the delectable mountains. Ignorance professed himself to be a pilgrim and informed them that he was going to the celestial city. He was from the nearby country of Conceit, a country that prided itself on its nearness to the Lord's mountains. But ignorance did not enter the way via the, the wicked gate. This gate represents Jesus uh, Christ as the only way of salvation. The wicked gate was too far away. Rather, he followed the tradition of his countrymen and entered by a little crooked lane that came into the way. This lane represents religion that offers salvation by works. We've been talking about this a lot. Okay, why? Because again, there's only, you know, it's, it's dominant. Is it salvation by grace alone and Christ alone through faith alone? Or again, it's by works. It's one or the other. And every other religion apart from biblical Christianity is salvation by works, period. Right? And so, no, nor did ignorance have a, a certificate, evidence of faith in Christ sealed by the work of the Spirit to present upon arrival at the celestial city. He was trusting in his own understanding of God's will and presuming upon religion and good works to save him. Christian rightly surmised that ignorance would find some difficulty, that's an understatement by the way, getting in at the gate to the celestial city. He was, as his name implied, ignorant of the true gospel of grace. But when Christian attempted to warn him, ignorance took offense. Ignorance sincerely believed himself to be a good person, so of course he was going to heaven. 
Now, as ignorance comes to the river, approaches death, he is still self-assured. Unlike Christian, who has struggled with doubts and fears and nearly sank, ignorance is confident. He has no doubt in his mind that he will be let in at the gate. His passage across the river is easy. He rides over the rivers with ease in a boat steered by vain hope. Now, so he pictures his mind. He gets across the river. So he walks up actually to the gates. Okay, ignorance does, all right? While ignorance arrives at the gate, there's no one there to greet him. That's bad news. That's a bad sign. Okay, when you get there to, the, to heaven and there's no one there to greet you. Okay, there's a sign that says, okay, not welcome. Um, he knocks, still assuming that he will quickly gain entrance. Okay, so he knocks on the door and then he's challenged. He's challenged at the gate. Ignorance responds by saying, I have eaten and drank in the presence of the king, and he is taught in our streets. His words echo the response of those seeking to enter through, uh, seeking to enter through the narrow gate. And you notice in Luke chap, uh, chapter 13. And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where you are from, then you will say, we ate and drank in your presence, we ta- you taught in our streets. And again, Jesus will, will deny you. Then he's asked for a certificate. And this, again, uh, ignorance is speechless. He doesn't know what to say. And you have the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22. It says, when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And that man was speechless. So the same shining ones who welcome Christian and hopeful to the city are commanded by God to bind ignorance and to cast him out. This is the fearful end of those in Luke 13 who fail to enter through the narrow gate. But he will say to them, I tell you, I do not know you. This is Jesus speaking. Where you are from, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, where you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, and yourselves thrust out. So last point, point 10. Ignorance is carried away to the byway, to hell. We talked about that last week, the byway to hell. And Bunyan concludes, Then I saw that there was a way to hell, even from the gates of heaven, as well as from the city of destruction. All right, we have a few minutes left. I was going to play a little bit of the video this morning, but um, we decided not to. Any thoughts? We've been on this journey for a long time. We're still on the journey. But anything that comes to your mind? It's interesting to think about the validity of uh, dwelling on or looking back at your life and, and pondering your sin and the difference of what that should look like in an unbeliever versus a believer yeah. at the deathbed. You know, for a believer, it's it's pride and not trusting in uh, what you should be. But it, as a as an unbeliever, it's good and, and right that it would terrorize, be terrifying. Yeah, you're entering into the presence of holy God. Uh, yeah. Here you. Go. Anything else? Yes, sir. What are some great hymns about dying? I can think, you know, it's not a hymn. Beulah Land. Beulah Land. I just gave you one. <laughs> it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. 
I'll fly away. I'll fly away. Yeah. That's an old gospel hit, right? <laughs> yeah, there, I, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of them. I mean, I just try to think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there has to be. Yeah. I know there is. Yeah. I'm thinking of one. Um, Yeah, I know that, again, I think a lot about dying. I know I'm weird that way again. But in the sense that um, if I was, you know, if I was making that transition, if I was in Beulah land, right, I would want scripture. I would want scripture just being read to me. I would like, like recordings, just lube it, right? I want to hear the word of God in my, if I'm, if I'm comatose, I want it to just be there, right? Whether it's scriptural songs, hymns, word of we God. We shall behold the What's that? We shall be holding. Yeah. What else? Anything else? This whole story, you know nothing. You have no questions, no comments at all. You yes. Just piggybacking on what he said. Yeah. It reminds me of like Matthew 25, where it talks about the final judgment and him separating the, the sheep and the goats. And it's just interesting the responses of the sheep and the goats. You know, the sheep are his people. He says, you know, when I was hungry, and fed when I was thirsty. Yeah. And what is the response of the sheep? The response is one of humility. Yeah. The response is, Lord, when did I do that? Yeah. You know, it's like you're coming to that day expecting almost condemnation. Yeah. Um, I'm worthless. And he says, no, when, what you did to the least of, of one of my people, you did unto me. Yeah. And then you see the exact opposite with the goats. You know, it's just like ignorance. He, they come presuming. Um, he, did, he says the same thing to them. Um, you know, when I was hungry, you did not feed me. And, um, and, and they say, well, when did we not do that? He said, you didn't do it. Yeah. And so depart from me. And so it's just interesting to see a, a total dichotomy there right. in mentality. Yeah. Even a cup, of, a, cold, a cup of cold water, you know. Anything else? Well, hopefully it's, encouraged, it's meant to be an encouragement. I feel like it was a little bit of a downer right now because they think of ignorance, but I... <laughs> but that, hopefully, again, that's, it's a warning. And in Pilgrim's Progress, um, there, there's lots of warnings, right? But the point is that it's meant to... Uh, that the idea of humility, the idea of repentance, this idea of uh, clinging to the gospel, right? To make sure, again, that we truly are born again, right? We're staying close to Jesus, seeking again to grow in assurance of faith, right? I was struck by the celebration of everybody kind of waiting and watching in there. Yeah. Somebody new comes in, just like the angels that are um, praising when a lost sheep gets found. Right? right. That maybe all that the saints are doing right now is just welcoming people home. Yeah. It's, it's probably, yeah. I'm probably getting somebody all the time. So it's a big celebration. Yeah. We're getting ready for heaven, right? Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate your patience and uh, continue to have a great Lord's Day. Thank you. Thank you.